Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on SoundCloud or iTunes and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Louise Phillips, the award-winning Irish crime author who has written four best-selling psychological crime thrillers and has just released her latest book, which is a standalone called The Hiding Game. Louise has won a range of awards for her writing, including the Best Irish Crime Novel of the Year at the Irish Book Awards, the Jonathan Swift Award and the Irish Writers' Centre Lonely Voice Platform. She lectures at the Irish Writing Centre and was also a judge on the Irish panel for the EU Literary Award. Louise, you've been compared to James Patterson and Patricia Cornwell of all people. Now, there's a compliment. Well, there is certainly a compliment. And when it comes to writing crime fiction and reading crime fiction, they would be two people that I would aspire to in relation to my fiction writing tends to be kind of get to the good bits fast and keep them coming. You know, this sort of always holding the tension, always going at a particular pace and, you know, getting that kind of page turning story as best one possibly can. A fast moving plot. A fast moving plot, exactly. And did you read a lot of their work then and other writers like them before you started writing yourself? Well, strangely, when my first novel came out, Red Ribbons, um, I had read crime fiction, but I wasn't the type of writer who sort of only read crime fiction and I tended to read across multiple genres Um, and so when I was happily discovered that my first book would be published I sort of nearly drowned myself in crime fiction because I felt oh I needed to really kind of get to to know this genre and to understand it and I've certainly learned a lot more since my first book but in some ways I think it actually helped me that I just went at it fresh, just thinking about writing a story that was going to really grip people emotionally and um, would want them um, needing more in in one sense. So sometimes, you know, the less you know at the beginning, the better. But I certainly feel since then, and I've studied a lot of um, crime writers, their work, um, and with the more recent novel, because it was based in the US, US female crime writers as well, um, I, you know, that always ups your game in in relation to telling a better story. Which is exactly what you want. And when did you start writing then originally? Well, originally I um, I started to write my teens um, and I did that for a little while. uh, And then I got married, had children, had a full time job. My husband was starting his own business. I was involved with that. And life was very busy with a large mortgage and a lot of pressure I suppose Um, so it wasn't until our youngest son turned 14 that I think I had the emotional space to actually go back to it Uh, so at that point a very nervous Louise went to her first creative writing class that would have been back in around 2006 and um, once I did that I kind of wondered why I ever really stopped and I spent a few years then doing kind of short story writing but the novel was always my aim. And that those initial writing groups that you, mm-hmm. you took part in, did that just give you that extra bit of confidence? Yeah, I think you learn certain things in writing groups. It's always good to be in a group that um, <clears throat> that shares your passion. 
you know, there's only so much your family and friends can actually listen to. So it's really good to have like minded souls. Uh, there were a lot of good writers in those groups. And again, as I say, you know, that really sort of makes you kind of try and hit the mark as close to as best you can possibly hit the mark at that particular stage. And it it. I would not say that it was the main thing that built my confidence. I think I had to go through a process of feeling like, oh, I'm not good enough. And and then eventually coming out the other side and being able to listen to people giving you feedback and say, yeah, that's a good point or no, I don't agree with that. And just being able to get my own kind of writing legs. Um, and then in, um, I can't think what year it was, I think it was around 2007-2008, uh, Dermot Bulger, who was writer in residence then, picked me for a, a small group of writers um, in, the, in, in South Dublin. And that for me was a huge boost to confidence because it felt like if an external source of his merit sees something in the work, well, I better start believing in myself too. And it obviously worked. Yes, indeed. Exactly. So why crime then? Again, I think a lot of the good things in my life have happened nearly by accident. So I started to write stories uh, and the novel. And in the initial stages, I didn't necessarily see it as a crime novel. Like the first novel does deal with the abduction and murder of two schoolgirls, which I kind of hit back to the fact that our two daughters were older at that point. So in some way I was writing about my own worst fear or a parent's worst fear. But I didn't necessarily say in my head, this is an out and out crime novel. But that's what it turned out to be in the end. Uh, And then I think at that point, I recognised that I quite often seem to write stories that place ordinary people into extraordinary situations, which is one of the facets of crime writing. And it pushes people emotionally, which means it pushes your characters emotionally. And I think I'm drawn to that because as most writers, um, you know, you observe human nature and you're fascinated by it. And you know, what makes one person makes this choice when they could make another choice? You know, what does someone do when no one is watching? All yes, of those exactly. sort of questions. We all wonder. Yeah. <laughs> and the first book was called Red Ribbons and your protagonist was a criminal psychologist, yes. which is quite interesting and probably was quite unusual for the time because a lot of people would go for, you know, a police officer or a journalist as their, as their main mm. character. Why did you choose a criminal psychologist? Um, well, before I started to write the first book, um, I had read a lot of books by criminal psychologists in the UK. Again, that goes back to the fascination with human nature and human behaviour, the likes of Paul Britton and David Cantor and things like that. And uh, it just intrigued me that someone could have the the psychological um, ability to look at a particular crime scene or to take certain aspects of the crime and determine parameters out of that. Now, criminal psychology is not an exact science, but nevertheless, it is a science that a lot of lead detectives have depended on. And I would also argue that a lot of really good detectives, you know, they they operate in the zone of criminal psychology every day because within 24 hours of a crime, they have to take in not just the forensic evidence and, and all the maybe potential witness statements and things like that. They have to take in what they see immediately in that crime scene because the longer a crime time 
passes since the original crime, the less information you're going to get from it, both in a forensic sense and also in um, a mental logical sense. So I think I um, when I first read the first Paul Britton book, which would have dealt with really high profile cases in the UK, some of them against women, some of them, certainly the Jamie Bulger case featured in his um, first set of um, publications. And that that whole kind of mental, I suppose, um, formula that he seemed to apply fascinated me. And so it was not then kind of surprising that my protagonist would be a criminal psychologist and nor would it be surprising that uh, she was a woman because I very much wanted it to be a female protagonist for my first novel and first series of books. And how long did it take to write the first one? The first one actually happened very quickly. How quick? (laughs) Well, (laughs) the first draft... So what happened was I started to write a novel and about... Uh, four months into it I kind of lost confidence in it and I did what a lot of writers do um, I sort of put it aside and I often say to new writers now you know just get the first draft finished you know don't don't listen to those terrible voices so when, when I made the decision to write Red Ribbons I said I am going to give myself permission to just get the story down the page have a beginning a middle and an end and I actually started in the September and I finished the first draft on the eve of Christmas Eve. So it was like a little over three, three months. months. Yep. And uh, it wasn't pretty. And I remember standing in the middle of Dundrum Shopping Centre thinking, I've no Christmas shopping done. There's no food for Christmas. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> the first draft <laughs> yeah, of my novel is done. done. <laughs> but somehow, magically, it, like all of that sort of slotted into place. And we had perfectly fine Christmas. But I had the first draft. And uh, so... I tend to now write my first drafts quite quickly and depending on the, um, I suppose, the demands or the challenges of the story, it may take an awful lot longer, you know, for all the subsequent drafts. And how long did it take with Red Ribbons? Well, Red Ribbons in total took just a a year Um, and then subsequent to that, The Doll's House, Last Kiss and The Game Changer, which would have been the four novels in the Kate Pearson series, they all came back to back one year after the other. Okay, so all quite quite intense. Yes, yes. And with the first novel again, did you go to a publisher? Did you go to an agent? How did you get it out there? Um, I sent it to an agent and I sent it to a publisher. And I didn't really think any more about it because these things can take quite a long time. Uh, I knew enough to know that most Irish publishers probably get about 3,000 submissions a year. And if they pick up one or two writers, that's it. And uh, so I sat back and I waited. And um, But eventually the publisher got in touch with me actually the same time as the agent oh, got in touch. And both of them uh, were keen to, um, to move forward with the novel. And um, so that whole process took in about four to six weeks and I eventually signed with Hachette and I have been with Hachette ever since. Great. So they've published all of your novels, yes, all yes. of your novels to date. And again, just talking about the, the series as well, when you, you started with the first book, the first Kate Pearson book, had you planned a series or did you just do one novel and then realise there was a series in it? No, I think I, I did see a series in it uh, because as the four novels progress, you get kind of, you get 
Kate Pearson, who's a criminal psychologist, her kind of life story evolving over the four novels. But within each one, a little bit like the way you might have followed a TV drama like Frost or Morse or something like that. There's a story. There's a, there's an, a high profile investigation and Kate is brought in to help the um, the police to find the killer. Uh, so in that way, I knew that she was going to be a window for different stories, which I, which I took advantage of each of the four books to try and bring each of the murder mysteries to the reader in a way that were was distinctly different from the previous one. And you, you know, the four books are quite separate. Obviously, her character runs through mm-hmm. all four and you have to do character development. So was plotting that quite hard? Well, um, <clears throat> most people say that my novels are, you know, there is a lot of good plot twists and turns in them um, eventually. <laughs> but I'm one of those writers who, who I find it very difficult to actually plot out a novel. I tend really? to do this thing that's called organic writing, which sounds very um, intelligent, but really it's just writing yourself into cul-de-sacs for um, weeks and weeks on end until you eventually... But does that not drive you mad? No. It does drive you a little bit mad. I, the, the first, le- well, not the first lesson I got in writing, but one of the main lessons I got in writing I got from our son when we were sitting down to dinner one night and I was writing um, the first book in the series and I had written myself into a cul-de-sac and I was explaining to him and my husband about how X happened, Y happened, and how can Z happen because blah, 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 blah. And eventually my teenage son said, well, you're the writer, go change it. There you go. And so that is it. Because, you out know, of the mouth of babes. Out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> so, so in the end, it, 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 they, they are novels that um, have a lot of twists and turns and plot. But I usually just start off with an idea in my head that I want to pursue as a writer and um, find the character voices and then just see what, how they all sort of and interestingly together. we've had other writers on Inside Books who can't sit down to write until they've plotted it to the nth degree and yeah. they know exactly what's going to happen yeah I mean Jeffrey Deaver would be a prime example he would spend about three to four months before each book just plotting out the novel before he even puts one word down onto the page uh, I envy him that oh, I would actually like want. to be <laughs> like that yeah would you try it I have tried it. I have tried it. But for me, it's like as if the idea nearly dies as soon as I start to kind of work out what's happening next, because I think I want to surprise myself. Like I remember certainly with the third novel, Last Kiss, quite near the end, I had made a decision that one character was going to behave in a certain way. And then I went to bed that night and um, I woke up the next day and I went, no, she's not going to do that. She's going to do something else. X instead of Y. And, and with and the book, the better for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think I, I like when 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 you're writing a novel and you get this idea and you think, oh, what if this and what if that? And perhaps, you know, you could turn everything on the head if you if you if you actually brought in this particular stream of consciousness and then you go, yeah, that's fantastic. That's that's the excitement. Um, so the excitement is the discovery for me as as the story unfolds. Uh, and I think that's why it didn't work when I was plotting. But having said that, I have plotted aspects of the novel. Like I've often sort of done a rough outline of the final chapters, just so kind of I know the territory that I'm heading into and know the points that I have to hit home hard 
And so that's useful. So I'm not saying I don't plot at all, but um, at the beginning, first draft, no, it's very sort of seat of your pants. Well, organic writing is a new one for us here. So we're going to use that now in future, which is uh, which is great. So you had four novels then with Kate Pearson. So why stop there? I think as a character, she just reached a particular um, end game for me. And that's not to say that I wouldn't go back to her again. But I, I think the her her character growth over the four books reached a point where it was it was a time to sort of say for me anyway that that is probably going to get killed by readers now who enjoyed the Kate Pearson books. But for now, she she's parked. But that doesn't necessarily. She's having a rest. She's having a little rest. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. She may come back. But you've gone now in a totally different direction with the latest book, The Hiding Game. It's mm-hmm. pretty much a standalone. It is. It is a standalone. And um, when I'd finished the series of Kate Pearson books, I wanted to do something different because I wanted to push myself as a writer, uh, which is partly why it's set in the US as opposed to the other books, which are all based in Ireland. And it's partly because of the motivation behind the story as well, because it was sort of originally the idea kind of came to me even before I started writing, which was back in 1997 with the Louise Woodward trial, the young English nanny on trial for um, for shaken baby syndrome in Boston, in Massachusetts. And that story, like other stories that have hit the media over the last 20 or 30 years never really left my thinking. So when I sat down to write The Hiding Game and I knew I wanted a story based in the US, I started to think again about the Louise Woodward trial. And also because of, you know, in the last few years, the kind of whole um, sort of interest in the making the murderer serious and that mm-hmm. kind of um criminal trial in the US because Louise Woodward and OJ Simpson um, would have been kind of the first US trials that we that w- would have been covered here. So the making the murderer kind of brought that back too and I was particularly drawn not just to the trial process and even the story of the original Louise Woodward case but also the interaction with media and the trial process in the US which is slightly different to the way it would be in this part of Ireland. I mean, people would have seen with the recent rape case in Northern Ireland that the media um, governance around that was very different to how it would have been in Southern Ireland. So, but in the US, there is a, there's an argument for the fact that within the media, you're nearly found guilty potentially before um, any evidence is ever presented. And then that posed its own challenges setting Mm -hmm. it in the US because again you have to know about criminal procedures in a different country so how did you research all of that? Well I was very lucky because I I obviously had contacts with many detectives here in Ireland and even now the Irish American connection is very strong Um, and obviously there's there's Irish and US cooperation in relation to criminal um, activity throughout the world. So I was lucky that I got an introduction to some key people in the US by way of detectives involved with the Senior Crimes Unit in Cambridge, undercover detectives, uh, people who would have been involved with that kind of high profile crime. So that was that was one strand of the research. But also, as you say, it's like the hiding game is part 
courtroom drama mm-hmm. part psychological thriller. So I needed to get my head around the legal phraseology and how uh, the legal system works. So I was very lucky when I went over to Boston to do the research initially that the people I met in the legal area uh, were really key personnel. I mean, one of them was this guy. He was actually from Rhode Island and um, people will understand the DPP process in in, in Ireland, Ireland um, and how, you know, case files are presented to the DPP. So he was an ex-cop, but he was also obviously a trained lawyer. So he was the linchpin between the police and what the attorney general, which would be what we would call our DPP, I suppose, for processing purposes. So he would examine all the files to see whether these there was enough evidence to put forward for a grand jury, etc., so he was really um, useful for my story and how that came to be. And um, so eventually I got my head around the whole grand jury system and the court processes. And thankfully, I know a few legal people who have read The Hiding Game and none of them have said to me there's anything out offbeat there. Uh, so I'm happy over that. And, and whatever about the, the criminal procedures and the legal procedures, even just the dialogue, is yeah. quite different between Ireland, obviously, and the yeah. US. Yeah, very different. And, you know, then you have to strike this balance between accessibility for the reader as well, because sometimes, you know, uh, dialects don't transfer easily onto the page by way of visual reading. And so you're striking a balance there. But it's a little bit like when you're doing research, you nearly have to know all the information before you can streamline it down to the for in the story form and so for me it was yeah I I read quite a lot of novels with um accents from Massachusetts and Boston and things like that and obviously when I was there I would have picked some of that up too and obviously by transplanting from Ireland to the US did that lengthen the time it took to write the book then yeah certainly because uh, the great thing about research is that it often sends you in different directions of or the, down rabbit holes as yeah, other yeah, authors have yeah, told us yeah of kind of what if so between the legal research the um, police procedural research and then the medical research and uh, the story kept unfolding so apart from the gathering of information I think the, the the story itself was very fluid for a long period of time, which extended the the, the length of it. And I was um, when I was over in Boston um, for a few weeks, I made the decision that with any of the interviews that I did, I wouldn't actually record any of the interviews because I felt I would get more out of people if we were just speaking face to face. So the, the challenge was taking my scrawled notes in the hotel <laughs> that evening and trying to actually decipher them. Um, at, but but it was a great experience. So um, I, I definitely think it, it added to a lot in the flavour of the book because I think you do get a sense of place, you, you know, whether it's central Boston or whether it's the South Shore and New England style homes and that sort of home. And it was, it is, I should say, very evocative in terms mm. of, of a book, in terms of the landscape. And is it being published in the US? Well, it hasn't been published in the US yet. Yes. We yes. live in hope. That's what we like to hear. Exactly. And in terms of your writing structure then, so when you're in the routine of writing, mm. how do you approach it? Um, well, the simple rule for me is to turn up. Right, you know, at any time it doesn't any matter. Time. No, it's a kind of. I tend to write early mornings, but um, 
But again, I think it feeds into kind of avoiding that kind of those negative voices, because I think a lot of times when writers are procrastinating about story writing, it's because they're actually nervous that when they go to put down what's inside their head on the page, they may feel a little bit disappointed. So I remember going to a talk by Kevin Barry once, and that's what he said. He said, I make a promise to myself to turn up for X amount of hours every day, sit in a room, and if I don't write anything, fine. But more than likely, if you're in a room for four hours, you will write. And so that's what I do. But I, for my routine, it tends to be early morning because um, I work within the family business. So I have to work within that during the day. And then, um, and so when I do editing, I tend to do a little bit of that in the evening. But usually the following morning, when I start back into the manuscript again, I would reread what I've done before edit and then go on to the next chapter. Right, and keep your consistency yeah. flowing in that way. Mm. And, uh, you know, in terms of criticism and and you're talking about people being afraid of being criticised, how do you take criticism, whether it's from your editor or from somebody else? Well, I, <clears throat> I, I think this goes back to the original writing groups, actually. I think you, you learn to distinguish between constructive criticism and uh, maybe an element of criticism that you sometimes have to take with a pinch of salt. Mm-hmm. Or a bit of jealousy, maybe? Uh, oh, no. No, 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 that's not good for you. <laughs> um, so I, um, so so what I tend to do is I, if I'm with, say, working with my particular editor or whoever it might be, I would, um, if, I, if something critical comes in, I am actually quite pleased with it because you don't want people telling you oh that's amazing and then it not turning out to be the case and so I think the the in relation to the process of writing whether it's your ed- editor or your agent giving you feedback you know you're the one that's going to make the decision at the end of the day because you're the writer and I've never met an editor or an or even an agent who doesn't respect that within the writer but you recognise that when they have constructive criticism, that it's important for you to think about that, weigh it up and then make a decision as to how to move forward in the best possible way. In relation to external criticism after the book is out there in the world. Book reviews, you mean? Yeah, (laughs) that can be that can be tricky, but that's part of the process and we're human and so we tend to dismiss positive reviews and tend to really concentrate on the negative reviews. But in some way to actually kind of keep on going you have to learn to deal with that too but you can criticise the naysayers and just say hang on I've been compared to James Patterson and Patricia Cornwell so yeah. we're fine yeah. you know um, and you lecture as well Louise and yes. you know you obviously you obviously enjoy it I, I love it uh, I love being within um, company of people who are passionate about creativity and about writing so that's why I, I do so a lot of creative writing workshops I'm actually doing one in um but I tend at the moment but I tend to base myself probably in Dublin for just geographical reasons uh, but it's a f- it's fantastic and you know you're constantly inspired by these new voices I mean it's a cliche that you know Ireland you know um, is such a great place for literary ability and kind of punches above its weight and all of that but it, it's true um, and the standard is good the standard is good the, the, the issue is that the 
the competition and the process of actually getting published can be a tough road, which is why I always include in my workshop um, a session on the publishing industry, you know, how to write that pitch letter, how to connect with agents, you know, what editors are looking for and to understand the, the world that you're entering because on one side of it and most of, most of it is this creative process, but there's an element of it that also has to be in some situations a commercial business process yes yep. absolutely and and some people just get flustered by that because if they're more creative orientated they they don't you know mm. uh, have the time I suppose or or the inclination for that side of things so you see it nearly as an opportunity to share the knowledge that you've learned along the way with yeah. others yeah I mean I remember when when our my, the first novel came out and no disrespect to the publishing house or to my agent or anything like that but they were very familiar with that world so there, there can be a tendency that you know you can kind of get a little bit lost in this because I didn't know anybody in the media. I didn't actually know anybody who had a book published. Uh, So I was like this sort of kind of lost person thinking, well, what does that mean? What's an advanced review copy? And what does copy editing mean? And and so I think just if you, if that's why, as I said, I include a workshop on that because I think it's important that people, when they're getting to that stage, concentrate on what's important, which is the story. And have you seen some of the students, I suppose, that you've had in some of the classes, have they progressed and been published? Yeah. I mean, I have been giving workshops probably for three years now. So of the the many students I've worked with, 14 of them have gone on to um, achieve publishing deals, uh, three of them on the international stage. And there's a lot of writers out there who are in the in the pipeline. So that's, for me, that's extremely rewarding. And if I have helped in any small way, that is fantastic and it's it's wonderful to know that talent is there and before we let you go we want to know what you're working on now well at the moment I'm working on what's affectionately called novel six (laughs) (laughs) no title just yet just yet so it it will be based in Ireland Uh, there may be a little bit of sort of um areas throughout the world that will be touched upon but it'll be primarily based in Ireland and um it will deal with um the crime World. I was about to say, are you sticking with crime? Yeah, yeah. And uh, but how? I suppose without giving too much of the story away, I feel the 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 window I have into it is an approach that hasn't been done before, and so I'm excited about that because I mean you always want to be doing something new. Great. Well, we can't wait to read it. So, Louise Phillips, thank you for joining us here on Inside Books. And you'll find Louise's book, The Hiding Place, in your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books, I-R-E. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on SoundCloud or iTunes. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Breda Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production 